Attention shoppers, there are a wide variety of Crossrip items available in the gift shop. Sweatshirts, smartphone covers, an exclusive t-shirt designed by Dapper Dan Shonen of IDW Comics fame, and more on the way. All proceeds go towards our servers, so this remains the only ad you hear on the show. Go to GhostbustersHQ.net slash shop to get yours today. I like that shirt, friend. Hey there, fellow Ghostbusters fans, and welcome to the Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossroad Podcast for the week of August 19th, 2019. Boy, summer's coming to an end. It's kind of a bummer, but that also means fall is right around the corner and Halloween is is upon us. Spirit Halloween stores are opening up everywhere. Check your uh, local former Toys R Us. Anyway, this week on the show, we're going to be talking about uh, what if, what if castings happen differently in the Ghostbusters universe? What if John Candy played Louis Tully? Stay tuned. Still Playing With Toys presents The Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossroad The biggest podcast since 1909 So free News, interviews, and commentary on everything Ghostbusters Are you the key master? Here are your hosts, Troy Benjamin and Chris Stewart You know, it's just occurred to me We really haven't had a completely successful test of this equipment Oh, we have fun Woo! I don't know, I'm really enjoying the the discussion topic episodes like i'm glad i'm glad that this this uh, episode is another discussion topic i feel well, like they're breathers yeah they're breathers well because when it's news we have to get the news out we have to hit you know what happened that week and we had to make sure everybody knows about it and we don't want to miss anything and if we miss anything we're kicking ourselves and or or more to the point if 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 ghost core announces something the day after we record we're kicking ourselves <laughs> <laughs> but these talky ones are just yeah. This this is this is the nerd poker thing that you keep referring it to, right? Like the new stuff is actually kind of work. Yeah, frankly, oh I resent my God. it. Like after after last week's discussion about uh, collectibles, like I feel reinvigorated. I feel like that was like <laughs> you're right. This is our this is our poker night where we kind of like yeah. Uh, it's it it occurs to me that after last week's, I I talked about selling parts of my collection. And I'm going to have to do it in order to send money <laughs> to the containment unit to get That's a whole true. bunch of cards signed. Yeah, I, I think we should actually bring that up here at the top of the episode. Uh, last week at the end of the episode, we mentioned uh, that uh, our friends at the containment unit are doing a uh, a very special signing. They do their private signings. Uh, they did one with Ernie Hudson um, where mm-hmm. they, they bring the celebrity in. Uh, they have you send in your items. You can also order 8x10 photographs and uh, a very cool way to get an autograph from somebody uh, who ordinarily doesn't go out there. And uh, so Will Deutschendorf is doing a signing for the containment unit. Um, and I know we mentioned last week, uh, act fast. You're running out of time even more so uh, as you listen to this. So uh-huh. uh, if, if you want one of those autographs, all the proceeds 100% go to the uh, Survivors of Suicide San Diego. Uh, so, I'm sorry, oh. Survivors of Suicide Loss San Diego. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool. I mean, and if you don't have something for him to sign, uh, you know, pay the 25 bucks and then pay an extra four bucks for an eight by 10. And there you go. 30 bucks gets yeah. you a, a rare autograph. That's, that's the simplest one. And I think you've got, as of this one, maybe a week and a half to get that order in. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. You, you'll have a little bit of time Act If you're a listening to this, safely pull your car off to the side of the road and uh, <laughs> hop go on Go to your, their Facebook page yeah. for details. Uh, and a little bit longer to probably about the same amount of time to make the arrangement 
but you have until an extra couple of weeks to, uh, after making the arrangements, to send in any items you want to get signed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if I understand correctly, God, I hope I'm getting that. Yeah, right. that's Where's you've got for, until September 9th uh, to send yeah. in whatever items that you want to have signed. So I. I, at the end of it, I, I made the suggestion to people that they go get crypto, their Cryptozoic. Uh, I don't even, can't even, there's got to be a card with uh, Baby Oscar in there somewhere. <laughs> there's <laughs> definitely the, now that I'm thinking about it, the Ghostbusters 2 Tops cards. There's that, oh, that's, well, yeah, that's even better. Yeah, there's oh, definitely great, a couple I of those. Uh, like there's, there's the one from the end of the film of Dana and Peter, you know, the spread out short stuff. There's one that's a really good yeah. cute one of, of Oscar. Um, yeah, now I gotta go find how many of those I there have. There you go. Send Open that up in. some wax packs I haven't touched. See if they got any in there. <laughs> well, before before we start talking about our collections again for another hour, uh, <laughs> I feel like so we have another discussion topic that's been lined up. Uh, the response to our discussion topics has been really great. Uh, somebody who just discovered our podcast a couple weeks ago. Uh, tuned in just in time for our What If episode, our Elseworlds episode, where we talked about what if Ghostbusters 2 was a bigger success and what would that have meant for the the rest of the franchise, the duration of the longevity of the franchise, yeah. so on and so forth. Um, and so, uh, as we mentioned just before the containment unit plug, uh, we've got another discussion topic here that we're going to be talking about. And uh, this is another What If. This is another fun What If topic. Um... And I kind of want to, there's, again, there's little bits and pieces of news and leaks and all that stuff, which we, we're not really talking about here on the show. Um, so I, no. let's just launch into it, Chris. Let's just do this. Sure. So we now have an official What If series. Is that how it's going? I think so. Why not? Let's call it, this is the second installment in a recurring Ooh. series. Is it the second or do we want to go, uh, harken back to last year's uh, what if they all died at the end oh. of Ghostbusters 1? Although that was a really good like, – so if you if you haven't been familiar with the podcast in the past, Chris and I, we must have talked for a half hour, 45 minutes. Oh, no. It was a long – it took, it was a good chunk of time. Yeah. It, I, what, it wasn't our idea. It was an article, I think. Somebody yeah, argued. Something, something spawned it. If I remember right, it was, it was a pretty existential article about uh, what if Ghostbusters 2 was all some sort of like a lost season seven kind of – uh, they all died in the explosion at the end of the first movie, and Ghostbusters 2 is their purgatory. They're all yeah. having to wander uh, and find uh, their closure and redemption. And it was it was yeah, a pretty fun be, thought experiment. It's got to be. I seem to recall we probably even hit an hour because you and I were getting into like character arcs and redemption. Yeah, and yeah. And it, was, and it made sense yeah. as to why certain people had changed so dramatically because they yeah. were now sort of their id version of themselves. And, and we, um, hadn't, we hadn't been drinking at all. No, like, frankly, no. I want to go, go to film school just so I can write that up as my <laughs> dissertation, frankly. But this week, we are certainly drinking. Yes. Hold on here. Just, uh, mm-hmm. All right, there already. it is. I, I had a mudslide earlier. I'm done. Oh, now, nice. So. Oh, there you go. Uh, but so this this week on the show we're going to be talking about what if uh, alternative casting members uh, we've we've heard of quite a few people who were considered yeah. for roles uh, even at FanFest uh, Mr. Dan Aykroyd himself brought up uh, Ernie Hudson's uh, possible replacement in Eddie Murphy <laughs> which still seems Thanks, like Dan. it might be a sore subject <laughs> thirty five years later. Uh, but so we thought we would talk about uh, what if certain cast members 
were actually cast in the roles and what would it have meant for how iconic the characters had become? Uh, mm. What would it mean for <laughs> their their impact on pop culture? Uh, if, uh, if they had a certain impact uh, that, you know, if everybody looks back at Rick Moranis's greatest roles and they say, man, Louis Tully is one of his best roles, his, his nerdy accountant character, that's, that's number one on my list. If that would have been John Candy playing him as a German man with German shepherds, uh, with a very thick, heavy Hungarian <laughs> accent, would we still be talking about Louis Tully the same way? The funny part is it occurs to me that this is also kind of a backdoor segue to next week's book club because the book does cover absolutely true 100 percent true candy out and and uh moranis in yeah i mean uh and and even does touch upon eddie murphy's uh uh, possible role and john candy's possible role and so uh, so maybe do you want to kind of just rapid fire some of those uh uh, potential alternative castings before we yeah well, let's stick with Lewis to start with, yeah. just because we not only have we we trotted that one out, and it's the John Candy one is the better known one, um, uh, especially now with the 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 thirty fifth anniversary disc where they put out the clip of him uh, Lewis encountering the muggers, right? The, the bit that got cut. Uh, that one, it all ties together nicely because that was one of the storyboards that were done early on, but it was done with John Candy. Yeah. Where you actually see John Candy's face. Yeah. Uh, but what I also like when I interviewed Rick, I asked who else was up to replace, uh, John, uh, in, in, in retrospect with some of the, uh, uh, the books and all that. The books make it sound like they pretty much kind of went right to him. Yeah. But he makes it sound like there was probably a couple of others. Knowing Hollywood uh, as we do, you don't go to a guy and say, Candy's out. Can you take the place without at least giving the hint of, but you are also replaceable. Please don't, you know, ask for too much money <laughs> sort of thing. So I think there, it's possible some other names were thrown around. I don't know. Uh, we'll never know. We'll, let's just be well, and they we'll had know, to have been because we know that certain people auditioned for it. So there, there had to have been other people that were yeah. read for. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I don't know if he was. Oh God, it's been so long since I listened to it. I should have listened before we did this episode because that would have been the professional thing to do. But uh, I, uh, the Kevin Pollock uh, chat show, uh, Michael McKean of Lenny and Squiggy fame, of uh, Spinal Tap fame. Uh, he auditioned to play Lewis. Oh, that's right. This. I forgot about that. I completely forgot about that, that he, he mentioned he was he, up yeah. for it. Yeah. I think he talked about the whole John Candy thing. So, but I don't know if it was because he was up against John Candy initially or if, um, uh, it was again, the Moranis. I think, I think he may have been one of the people that they kind of tapped into. Cause again, the book's, uh, the ones that like the, the wild and crazy guys and all that talk like John was in mind for Ghostbusters, like hence the storyboarding and all that. Yeah. He was, they didn't do yeah. wide casting. They just sort of went John awesome. And then found out the hard way that, you know, everybody, the two different trains going two different ways. Um, so without double checking, I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna uh, leap on the assumption that uh, when John was on the way out, 
uh, yeah, Michael McKean was auditioned to to be uh, to take over, and that one's a weird one. Like it's weird enough to try. Well, it's sufficiently weird enough because it never happened to go. Oh, that John Candy, and you never really think about it. Like I think partially because the two visions didn't connect up. Yeah, it seems like it was never it was never meant to happen. So I've never really thought about what it would be like with John Candy. Um, <sighs> I mean, what, Although, I mean, for for the sake of the for the conversation, what if uh, Ivan Reitman was a, a total pushover? Oh, well, I see. Yeah. Okay. What if? What if? Uh, you know, because we know that uh, Grumpy Grandpa Ivan, um, <laughs> he he's no pushover. He's not going to take any crap out of anybody. So if somebody comes to him and is like, "I want to play this as this," and that's not what Ivan wants, he's going to say no. Like he's going to push back. But what if he wasn't? What if Ivan? Was like, oh, John, that's brilliant. That is such a wonderful idea. I can't wait to see your Hungarian Louis Tully, the accountant. No. Uh, (sighs) It's a totally different, because all of the things that makes the key master so, like, he's, he's so lovable. And so, even though he's such a deplorable, terrible person. Person. he's such a nerd and he's such a cheapskate and he locks himself out of his apartment 20 times even though he becomes the key master yeah uh, i mean all of those things that made lewis tully endearing i think that kind of goes away if he becomes a bigger caricature I, I i mean i don't please don't hate me for saying this everybody that's out there ready to arm yourselves with 140 characters and respond to me but i think lewis tully would have been a lot more like janos poha I think I think the character would have been a little bit more of a caricature and wouldn't yeah. have had the same impact that Lewis to make him a fan favorite. Obviously we all love Janos, we all love Peter McNichol, um but that's kind of Peter doing what I think John Candy would have done to me. Yeah. Caricature is the right word like the it's come up again and again and I think it came up recently in probably at FanFest, I think it was mentioned that the kind of the whole driving force tone-wise behind Ghostbusters is that everybody's not playing for jokes. Everybody's playing it straight. Right. And it just happens to be funny. Whereas John Candy doing that crazy impression, that's not playing it straight. That's playing it for a joke. And I think that may have killed, like Lewis is, uh, as Miranda's yeah. played it, is a caricature. But even he plays it do you know what I mean? Like it's it, he pushes it just up to the to the the limit bef- without turning into a complete cartoon of a man, right? So I I don't. I mean that 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 makes total sense too. Some of the names that we could mention here later in the show, it makes sense why those people were not cast then because like Paul Rubens playing Gozer, he then becomes a caricature in theory. Yeah. He becomes sort of. I mean, he's not obviously going to play it as Pee Wee Herman. But he would probably put some sort of a, a a character actor spin on it where it's not being sincerely portrayed. It's not being... Yeah. Um, or, or Christopher Walken. Wasn't Christopher Walken one of the ones that I think... Christopher Walken, Walken was going to be Egon. Oh, apparently. Egon. Was auditioning. That's not, right. Wasn't going to be. I shouldn't say that. Was considered. Yeah. I don't know. But, uh, because remember at the time, I mean, he's a he's a... He's his own little comedy icon now because of his his present his personality presentation ticks, um, but back then in '84, you know, like um, Dead Zone and uh, 
uh, uh, uh, Dead Zone and the other one, Brain Brainstorm. And oh yeah, like that, right. Brain, yeah, he was. And I think to be honest, uh, Brainstorm is a. What is the date on Brainstorm? Because in my mind, it was eighty five. I think it came after, didn't it? Wasn't that like eighty five? Yeah, because that's the one where you can kind of go. You, it's him as a scientist, right? But he's yeah. not. He's a human guy as a scientist, not you know, not uh, not uh, quiet, reserved, uh, logical Egon. Um, yeah, but he was yeah. in. He was in a lot of like. All I can think about his is his tiny Annie Hall role, and I mean Deer Hunter. Like I just I come back to Deer Hunter all the time. Like that was Christopher Dog. Walken. <laughs> Yeah, dogs of war. Yeah, um, exactly. Well, he was, but he was a, he was a dramatic actor. I think he probably could have, out of everybody that supposedly was in the mix, um, I honestly, he's the one I would have been most interested with. I because I think, I think, <sighs> he he kind of does quiet, intense stuff. And I think that would have suited well for Egon. Don't get me wrong. Ramus was spot on and exactly what it, it, it did exactly what it was supposed to. He's perfect for But like when we imagine pulling uh, Bill Murray out and putting John Belushi in as originally intended. Yeah. yeah. You kind of start, and we've talked about that one before. We start going, because eh, John Belushi is a whole other energy level. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Compared yeah, to totally Bill Murray. different. But Walken and Harold Ramis, if you said <coughs> you're the <coughs> the uh, bespectacled, yeah, the emotion scientist emotionless guy, the, uh, Spock uh, Vulcan character, yeah, yeah, I think they're they tonally are, are the closest. Uh, who was the other one that was supposed to? Well, there was swap in. Was, Dan was always going to be Ray. That was never up for grabs. I mean, maybe I'm making this up, and maybe this is sort of like vague memories, uh, putting memories together. But wasn't Michael Keaton supposed to? Because they were, he was in some of the storyboards when they had like the helmets with the visors. And was he like a replacement oh. for Murray if Murray didn't show up or something? I forget how Michael Keaton was at some point considered well he's certainly in uh, of the right era there um because like here. he it, like michael keaton okay. as venkman would have made sense to me like he still could have played that sort of charming but a little rough around the edges uh po- possibly okay. with some nefarious intentions yeah goliath.com has an article about things you didn't know about ghostbusters again i haven't had time to double check all this but what they are saying is uh, Dan Aykroyd was writing the script for Ghostbusters in 82 when Belushi died of a drug overdose. While Aykroyd had Belushi in mind to play lead scientist Peter Venkman, his pal died before the script was finished and casting had begun. By the time the movie was ready to go into production, director Ivan Reitman and Dan Aykroyd had settled on actor Michael Keaton to play Peter Venkman. Oh, okay, so they there we felt go. That Ke- they felt that Keaton's fast-talking and sarcastic screen persona would be perfect for the role. Michael Keaton read for the part and was cast. Now that i got up sources please uh, yeah i don't has anybody ever however, talked when, to keaton about that i don't yeah <laughs> however when dan Aykroyd's other good friend and saturday night live castmate bill murray expressed interest in the part it was decided to retool and cast bill murray instead see this is why i like that we're going to do wild crazy guys next week yeah because now we're front loaded with a lot of stuff that we can we let's say after the book club, we may be doing a follow-up to the what if where we correct everything we got wrong. I mean, it um, makes sense because, 
Night Shift, I'm just double checking my math here. Night Shift and Mr. Mom had both come out prior to 1984. So in in theory, Michael yeah. Keaton's stock He's was rising. Office. Yeah. Well, not only rising, was ahead of Bill Murray's. Yeah. Bill oh, Murray sure. had meatballs and what else? Meatballs and uh, the buffalo roam? Like, well, and stripes, I guess. And stripes. Yeah. Right. So that's a that's a that's a good arc, but but Keaton's was pretty good too, right? Um, I mean, okay, so let's let's keep this thought experiment going. Let's let's but imagine. Again, actually, actually, now that you've brought him up, go ahead, finish. Well, your, well I was your, gonna say, let's imagine. So they cast Michael Keaton in, as as Peter Venkman. Bill Murray, in true Bill Murray fashion, never answers his phone and doesn't show up to set. And sure enough, uh, Keaton is in front of cameras as Peter Venkman. Does Peter Venkman still have the same impact on pop culture? Do all of the lines that? Oh my God! Now that I'm thinking about it, like ninety percent of the lines that we quote on a daily basis were ad libbed by Bill Murray on the set. By so Bill Murray, yeah. Does does Venkman become something totally different again? Sure, I can see it. I can picture it. I, you know, to be honest, pound for pound, swapping Murray for Keaton and vice versa. I think it would have worked. I think it works. I mean, you see how Harold Ramis directed Keaton in Multiplicity, and you know yeah. that he can play, he can play up that uh, a trademark well, uh, Harold Ramis dialogue. So it works. Yeah, it works. His tonally, he's slightly more energetic than Bill Murray, and actually not even more energetic. It's just Bill's a bit drier. Let's yeah, put it that sleep, way. But I sleepy think, Bill Murray again. Something we'll talk about with our Ontario friends next week. But but they're but they're but. Tonally, they're very similar, and all of Keaton's comedy at that point was uh, comedy comes from playing it straight. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. pretty good, pretty good for either written for or throwing out a line, right? Like, I don't know if he would have improved as much as Bill, but I think we probably still would have gotten a couple of zingers out of him. Yeah, and and probably a lot of those uh, Michael Keaton ramp ups where it's like. Level, level, level crazy. <laughs> Something. You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Let's get nuts. Uh, lots, of, lots of hard S's. Yeah, hard S's. Um, <laughs> I, I, would, I, would, I would have loved to have seen that. I mean, I, uh, again, kind of in our experiment where we talked about Ghostbusters 2, uh, I, I love what's occurred, obviously. I love Bill Murray as Peter Venkman. I can't imagine anybody else besides him as Peter Venkman. Um but Michael Keaton would not be too shabby. Like I would have loved to see that and could see, yeah. and could see Ghostbusters too with he and Sigourney Weaver playing that romantic comedy stuff really well. That would have been yeah. a totally different movie. Just so people don't like some people take it as if we're changing our answer and fealty when we do these things. I notice uh, somebody was giving you crap for why couldn't Batman have also been a big movie, <laughs> but that's not the point. The point yeah. was, is that Ghostbusters two was supposed to be huge enough that it overrode a lot of the things that slowed it down afterwards. Um, so just so people understand that we're not, we're not doing that like uh, Moranis and candy candy. No, like it's, it's one of those things where it's like love candy to death, you know, he, he's John Candy. Oh, yeah. I adore, Everybody loves I adore John, Candy. John Candy. I don't want to besmirch the, the good name of, of John Candy but he here. Couldn't, but yeah. He couldn't have done it. Not only that, could conceivably have really put, like for something that is lightning in a bottle. And that means 
a lot of people do it as it was perfectly crafted. No, it means it, it was some good stuff that also got really lucky in all the right places and came together. That would have been a misstep in a movie that really doesn't have any missteps. Or if it has missteps, it's only because certain things haven't aged right. well over time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That would have been a misstep release day, day one, to have, have John Candy. and I mean, you and I can play the thought experiment, what if somebody got him in line? And even then, I don't think like a an Uncle Buck uh, Lewis would work. Because like, yeah. the thing is, is he's a big guy. I, he, he was taller and, and and broader than everybody right like i mean it's, i could lewis hmm. it's well th- think think of how well it worked lewis is like a foot shorter than sigourney weaver that yeah yeah that, he's, that he's shrimpy looks and hilarious when they're on the rooftop temple imagine john candy right he would he's probably half a foot taller than she is if i remember correctly because he's like he was like what six three six four or something yeah, he's a big yeah. guy but I'm sure he would have played it more like his, more like his role, like in the Great Outdoors, where he's kind of the yeah, uh, yeah, that's my brother. He always pushes me around. Like I, I yeah, think more of a nebbish than a nerd. Yeah, nebbish, and then it would have too made, much of a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. Like if 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 the two of them become gatekeeper keymaster, and you know his whole dream is that he's always wanted Dana Barrett down the hall it's more like you feel for the guy. Like you, I I could see him playing the role in a way that it's like, Oh, I love John Candy. He's just such a nice guy, but you know, he's, he's not like a 10. He's not like, uh, he's, he's not the leading man type. And so somebody like Sigourney Weaver playing Dana Barrett is not going to be into him. So you're kind of rooting for him a little bit more than like with Lewis, you weren't really rooting for him. It was more sort of like, you didn't well, and you didn't feel bad for him either. What did you feel for Lewis Tully? I don't really know what I felt for Lewis Tully to be completely honest with you. Uh, yeah, actually, no, you're kind of close. You 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 bumped up into the problem, and then and it's right there. We can we can grab it, and that's that. John Candy, we kind of would root that he he, you know, not get his heart broken by Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, Lewis was just kind of. Well, let's be honest. Lewis didn't have his heart set on her. He 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 was interested in her. He really wasn't super like he was being kind of friend zony about it. But remember, in the party scene, he's also uh, big on uh, um, <laughs> Larry King's uh, Ms. wife. Yeah, Larry King's. Yeah. No, not Larry King. Uh, Casey Kasem's wife. <laughs> Casey Kasem's uh, wife. Yeah, Gene, that's right. Gene King. Uh, yeah. Gene Kasem. Right. Like, um, he's he's just. He's yeah. He's 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 a single guy that's kind of fishing around, sort of thing. Um, and you're not really rooting for him to get um, to get Dana. You know what I mean? Yeah, and when at the end of it, it, you know, they all get unpossessed and they go their separate ways. We didn't really. <laughs> Again, again, he wasn't like I want to go with her. He was like I want to go with them. Like even then, his head isn't thinking. <laughs> His head isn't even thinking, oh, Dana. He's like, hey, it's the guys. Can yeah. I go with the guys? Does anybody like, want to interview me? I was an eyewitness and nobody he's, cares. Like, he, that's a yeah. good. Remember, actually, the party scene is kind of key to that character because you watch him walk around a party that he is, as he says, with no amount of shame. Uh, I invited clients instead of friends. 
Uh, and for good reason. Like, that's the best part. He delivers that line. We've never doubted, like, that Lewis has friends. I'm pretty sure Lewis has friends. Yeah. It's just that he outright says, yeah, I'm totally saving a whole bunch of money by inviting clients. Like, I get to have a party and write it off. Yeah. <laughs> like, like yeah, he's just, that's like. He is, he, she's like, do you have any Excedrin? He's like, yeah, it's great. I buy it in bulk. Check out the salmon. This is awesome. Like, the, he is, <laughs> he's not. He's not some sort of poor incel. He's fine on his own. Like he's he's got his little world space, and he just happens to be, you know, depending on what movie you're looking at or what part of the movie, you know, kind of. Hey, Dana. No. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Gene Kasem. Yeah. All right. Let's dance. Like he was so thrilled to be dancing he's with her, like, and he's then it all the went dude, to hell. He's like the guy at work. <laughs> who wants to be best friends with you outside of work and who also thinks that he's kind of like the uh, uh, high school valedictorian all-star quarterback walking down the hallways, <laughs> thinks that he's like kind of the cock of the walk, and but he's not. <laughs> Which you, so, so that's, I think, why he's so endearing. I think that's why you appreciate him yeah. be- because you feel bad for him. And that's not necessarily what John Candy does. John Candy does like the lovable. I just want to give the guy a hug, no matter how disgusting he is when he's belching and uh, you know smoking his stogie kind of thing. So we have we have no doubt that Lewis could have persisted with that 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 life indefinitely, right? Like, like remember in the second one again. Uh, <laughs> With absolutely no shame, it's uh, it's like well, I used to have a roommate, but then my mom moved to Florida. Like he's just <laughs> that's just how that's, it went. he didn't. Uh, there you go. Yeah. He's, so, but then the question becomes, like Michael McKean. Like Michael McKean is closer to a Keaton or a Murray. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. although he hadn't really hit his stride then. I, I, I mean, Lenny, Lenny and Squiggy era, Michael McKeon, he might've, again, he might've played the role more of a caricature. He might've well, taken most it of to his, some sort of a place that. Most, most, <laughs> most of the comedies, he's kind of a caricature. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Spinal Tap. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Lenny and Squiggy. Oh God. Uh, yeah. What if he played the, it with like a British accent kind of. A lot of the Christopher guests, he's, you know, over the top. Um, well, not really. I guess by a um, uh, mighty wind, he was pretty mighty wind. I was yeah. trying to think of the adjective. Thank you very much. Yeah, a cool wind, cool, cool piano. I don't. Yeah. Know. Anyways, um, well, uh, so all right, let's let's again because I know us and I know that we could keep talking about things, but the the one big one that I think we could talk about for a good length of time here is what if. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop did not start filming until a year later, mm-hmm. and Eddie Murphy was available to play the role of Winston Zeddemore. Um, again, we love and adore Ernie Hudson. I don't want anybody else ever in the role of Win- uh, Winston Zeddemore, uh, except maybe Arsenio. I liked Arsenio in Real Ghostbusters. But uh, uh, if Eddie Murphy who was a rising star on Saturday night live. Uh, and, and if he would have gotten the role would have been among the top billing. So all of the where's Winston stuff would probably not be uh, yeah. uh, as much of an issue, but what would we, what would we know of Winston? What type of a character would he be in that first film and beyond? If that were Eddie Murphy, if, 
if Winston wasn't the guy that's, you know, looking, <laughs> looking through the want ads of the newspaper and sees this ad for Ghostbusters and like, all right, whatever, I'll go try it and see if I get this job. Um, what if he was there from the start as apparently was originally scripted? Uh, what happens to Winston? What happens to Eddie Murphy's career if he's a part of Ghostbusters? Uh, and does it work? Do we see Eddie Murphy's chemistry and personality and comedy style? And, you know, much like we were just talking about John Candy, maybe possibly not working as Lewis Tully. Does he work as Winston Zeddemore as we know him? <laughs> Uh, tune in next week for a book club <laughs> where we'll dive into a lot of this. Because this is also le- true. W- if we learn a lot from that book, like this is why it's great to get into it because that book really shone a light on a lot of different things. And one of them is is that we forget how young Eddie Murphy was yeah. around that time. Oh yeah, like ridiculously young. And they go into Beverly Hills Cop, and there was a lot of question about. Why is he here and can he do this sort of thing? Like they weren't sure. And then, you know, they had a couple of scenes where he just went for it. And even he says he was terrified about whether he could do it or not. And he just went for it and it worked. I, but he was the lead. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it was him and. It was his vehicle and everything sort of revolved around him. Whereas Ghostbusters would be an ensemble. It'd be him and Ackroyd yeah. and Murray and, and Ramis. And like Eddie Murphy. Dan, Dan is a lot of setup. Egon's a lot of like fill in the blank, you know, exposition or, you know, also some setups and all that. I, I just kind of feels like it would have been a war of the wits, you know, like, and not only that, not a, not playing off each other very well. Like, you know, quiet, dry wit Bill Murray and, you know, just loud. <laughs> <laughs> loud actually that's a really good way to describe it's funny don't get me wrong eddie murphy stuff is hilarious it's just he's not a quiet guy right he would actually, yeah he would have the the quips like you know how winston winston just sort of seemed to roll with the punches uh even though the uh the money may not be worth it to him that's that's kind of the couple quips that he does get in there um but yeah it would be it'd be a totally different I don't. I don't think it would be like Leslie Jones's Patty Tolan type character, um, but it would be totally different. It would be more like he's not much of an everyman. It would in be like any a, of his. It would be. It would be forty eight hours. It would be like yeah. everybody else would be Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy would be that sort of like too too cool for all of this kind of character. Like that's how Winston Zeddemore yeah. could have ended up being. He could have been the like. What the hell am I doing with these guys? Like these nerds over here, I don't want to hang out with these guys. But whatever, I make yeah. money. If this does come up in 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 the wild crazy guys a lot. Yeah. That he had a very specific image that he wanted to, you know, wanted to come across in the movies he was in. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, uh, the Golden Child is a good example. Stuff ended up happening in the Golden Child because that made no sense in the end movie because he, he had a, this image of what he as Eddie Murphy comedy action superstar was supposed to be doing. Yeah. I, I can't see it fitting yeah. even, a, even a young one. That's maybe got a little bit more room for an Ivan Reitman or somebody to, you know, direct him around. I can't see it fitting in very well. It would be like, I mean, you look at trading places and you see how Dan, sort of plays off of Eddie 
like the, the the chemistry between the two of them in that particular movie works really well but that doesn't necessarily lend it like it lends itself to a john landis comedy but not necessarily to what ghostbusters was intended to be like yeah that that heightened comedy that that landis has where everything john is Le- yeah just a Sorry, little absurd. I, I think it works absurd. for that, but not played for this. for jokes. Yeah. Ghostbusters is not played for jokes. Ghostbusters is played straight, and the jokes come out of it. And, yeah, I don't... I'm trying to think of... If I'm trying to remember... I'm trying to think if a Murphy... I can think of anything he's done where it's like that. Uh, really, not off the top of my head. Yeah, not... I mean... I mean, Beverly Hills Cop is still being played. It's being played straight, but the comedy is coming from the situations and the and the reactions to the situations. Like it's not a a caricature. But his it's not about character so much as he Hmm. is playing it for the joke, though. Yeah, he is going like his reactions in scenes are not normal people reactions. Right. (laughs) Yeah, uh, they're very played up. They're very and they're funny. But that is not playing it straight. Like that is playing it for that the joke yeah. of the whole. Thing. It's well, and he's. Like, yeah, I mean, that's 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 point in case. He's larger than life. Like he is yeah. not that sort of subdued, normal, ordinary, average working collar guy. No. He's he walks into a room and commands the room. Where Ernie plays the role. And I think what you would lose is you lose what we love the most about Winston Zeddemore is he's us. Like he's us walking into this movie with all of these uh, paranormal psychologists who eh, maybe believes, maybe doesn't. He's just here for the paycheck. And he then becomes the sort of like every person that we can identify with who also they can explain things to so that we can kind of get an understanding of what's going on. That's a hell of a Twinkie kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. You lose well, that think- with Eddie Murphy. Then, then exactly. what? who are they describing all of these things to? Um, yeah. Imagine Eddie Murphy trying to deliver the line. If there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe anything you say. Like Winston is very, <laughs> matter, openly, of fact. matter of fact yeah. about it. Yeah. If there's totally. money in it, I'm in. Uh, the line Where deliveries it, would be totally different. Totally, totally different. different. Yeah. And the thing is, is again, Winston's funniest lines are not, you know, are not played up as jokes. They're just like, you know, like uh, tell him about the Twinkie, right? It's again, that's a that's a joke because he never said, uh, oh, you should tell him about the thing, or that's not what he was just telling me. He just tell him about the Twinkie funny like but very very normal like very low-key that's what somebody would say and very funny because of it but Um, oddly enough like the i've seen shit that'll turn you white that sounds like an eddie murphy line to me like i feel like that's probably a carryover from a draft where they had eddie in mind when they were writing it because that that seems like something that he would say yeah and, and it even like in the scene it seems uncharacteristic for Ernie Hudson's Winston Zeddemore you, it kind of takes you aback but that's what makes it work so well is cuz it's like wait what yeah. <laughs> and as yeah. and as the jun- the junior in the ensemble uh not not something that he would improvise himself that's yeah. I'm almost yeah. entirely certain that, that that's in the script uh what else? like like uh, think of how understated and funny it is when he says uh i'm sorry but i'm gonna have to get my own lawyer <laughs> yeah. like tell eddie murphy to play that like 
yeah. you know, that straight. You you wouldn't get it, right? Like it's just Eddie Murphy's just uh, yeah. I mean, attitude, attitude, attitude. One hundred percent. That's that's what so makes Winston more so endearing is that he's he is that just ordinary average Joe. Um, yeah, no offense, but I got to get my own lawyer. Like, no offense, but I got to get my own lawyer. He, yeah, exactly. In this absurd situation, he can be that voice where Eddie Murphy wouldn't necessarily. I mean, he could. I'm, I'm sure that Eddie Murphy is capable of it, but you wouldn't necessarily associate him with that type of a, a person. So, and we forget they handed the heaviest, like the heaviest scene to Winston. Yeah, the whole discussion with Ray about do you believe in God. <laughs> Like, again, swap in Eddie Murphy and try to imagine how that scene goes down, right? That's a totally like, different, yeah. In a movie in a movie that, man, I was just reading an article the other day where they were like, yeah, Ghostbusters opens with, you know, some good scare horror. And then they really kind of throw it over the edge for the comedy. You know, they backhandedly say, I guess you kind of have to because it's technically a comedy. It's like, I don't know. It's got a couple of heavy bits in the middle there that like the the whole premise like again in the middle of a movie where we're just getting used to the idea of of guys with lightning guns taking down ghosts <laughs> and and the fourth guy that just showed up goes have you guys ever considered that this might be the end of the world <laughs> you know what i mean like, uh, yeah wait and, a minute yeah and it's played in that scene because ray has a beat where he suddenly goes Oh yeah, like it's just it has never occurred to him, and he does. He's like he unsettled Ray, right? He yeah. unsettled super enthusiastic. I I saw a ghost. We caught a ghost. I have a ghost on videotape. Check out my you know my hat. It's made a ghost, right? It's just <laughs> and then and then he just laid it all out. You're having fun, but what if this is everything falling apart? And what are we gonna like? Can we do anything about it? And Ray's yeah. like. We should stop talking about this conversation and listen to some music. It's I, a great scene. It, it, that's one of the best parts of the movie, and it's a nice, quiet moment. And right in the I, middle I, of things, before everything goes haywire. Yeah, yeah. So I, I feel like that role and the the John Candy, Lewis Tully, like those are the two that I think dramatically change the. Like this, this is more than was it Julia Roberts? Who else was it that was supposed to be Dana Barrett before Sigourney Weaver came in and auditioned? I want to say it was. Oh. <laughs> or Julia Roberts, or was it um, Sean Young? Was it Sean Young? I, I was Sean remember. Young. Was it Sean Young? But but same thing. Like, or are we conflating her audition story with her Batman audition story? Oh, maybe that's it. Maybe I'm <laughs> thinking about that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, yeah. I think that's exactly what it is. Because Sean Young came in dressed as Catwoman, and uh, Sigourney Weaver did her, you know, uh, dog possession uh, audition. But. I, I like oh, that that casting. Sh- shout out to GhostbustersFandom.com. Uh, Julia Roberts auditioned for the role. Oh, okay, that's the uh, our, our wiki friends. Ah, that's yeah, fun. Ghostbusters okay, wiki. there we go. I should have known. I should have just looked at the wiki. Why didn't I do that? <laughs> um, always check the wiki. Always check the wiki. But but that, I mean, Julia Roberts. Sure, Dana Barrett as Julia Roberts. Totally, I could see that. Like that's it makes it's a different type of Dana Barrett. Uh, not necessarily the statuesque Sigourney Weaver uh, that we would be familiar with, but uh, I could see her as the th- that lead who could go toe to toe with uh, Bill Murray and kind of uh, keep him on his toes and um, yeah. and play uh, uh, you know in the orchestra and Lincoln Center and 
but that that all totally makes sense. That would totally work. It's it's those two fundamental roles. Like it, you could swap out uh, William Atherton for uh, anybody. I don't know. I mean, it like William Atherton always had to play that heavy, but like it could have been anybody. It could have you could have Michael bring, Ma- Michael McKean would have been a good <laughs> Michael uh, McKean as uh, Walter Peck. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't. I mean. I think those are the ones like for the sake of our, our thought experiment, if, if those two roles were to have been completely altered or completely alternate casted into John Candy, Eddie Murphy, whoever, or even if John Belushi would have been in the movie, it would have been a totally different beast. Like Ghostbusters would be completely and totally different. We wouldn't be talking about it the same way that we do today. Yeah. I'm looking at it here. This is the Julia Roberts thing is relatively recent. Like uh, Yahoo had an article, Ghostbusters at 35, an interview with uh, Ivan Reitman, and he talked about uh, auditioning Julia Roberts. And as he put it, she was still five years away from Mystic Pizza, which was oh, her big. So maybe that's where I remember, again, all those things yeah. that you read in passing and then who knows it where they get stored. Together. Yeah. But here's the thing. Julia Roberts is very... High energy, very effervescent. You know what I mean. Whereas yeah. uh, Sigourney Weaver plays uh, Dana, very stoic, uh, stoic, very classy. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of there's yeah, very a very quiet. Uh, you know, she's a refined I, New Yorker. Refined. Like she's, she's the the, the person who's walking down the sidewalk uh, on Fifth Avenue, uh, who you want to say hello to, but you know that she's just going to give you kind of a smirk and keep walking like that kind of like, Oh, hi. Yeah. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, bye. Well, the cut scene of Dana, did we No, Lewis? <laughs> no, Lewis. No. Yeah. 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 She's, she's New Yorker. She's, uh, yeah, that's Julie Roberts would have brought maybe a little bit more of a kind of, uh, uh, not like a small town, like girl next door kind of thing to it, but um, you're right. Like it, it yeah. would have been a different, a different energy. A different I guess. energy. Hey, uh, you want to do some rapid fire, Egon? Yes. Yeah. All right. We talked about Christopher Walken, uh, but apparently John Lithgow, John Lithgow, Christopher Lloyd. Okay. And, cool. Jeff, I, Go- and Jeff Goldblum were all considered for the role of Egon. I, yeah, I remember Christopher Lloyd because there was like a, a casting sheet where I saw like Christopher Lloyd was listed and I was like, oh man, that would have been weird. Like yeah. Doc Brown as interesting. Not, yeah. Again, not a, not a, yeah, no, Goldblum. I can't, you can't, well, we've, you know, <laughs> I don't know. After seeing, uh, is, uh, Dr. Malcolm is like, <laughs> I can't. I, I don't know. Like, I'm having trouble picturing any of these guys. Walken is the closest. Like, of, yeah, of those four, yeah. Walken is the closest uh, tone-wise. Like, he's a, he's a, you know, all of his, very reserved, very quiet in a lot of his roles. Um, t- well, he has his blow-ups and all that, but, uh, uh, man. Yeah, go, uh, a, a very sort of uh, Leonard Nimoy performance from, uh, from Goldblum. I could see that. I could see him playing that sort of 
uh, he, he doesn't necessarily always have to be his neurotic with his tics and his, uh, uh, talking like this, uh, all the time <laughs> like that. He doesn't, that's again, he's playing that up now. Like he's, he's adopted that persona because when you watch the fly, he doesn't necessarily do that or in any of his earlier movies. Like, uh, that was not something he, he really William Shatnered himself. He, he, he really, really found did. his persona and, and latched onto it. But, <laughs> Uh, I could, I could see it I, again. If I had to pick a second, like mm-hmm. if Walken couldn't do it, Goldblum, yes, Goldblum would do well, it. Well, yeah. To be honest, though, Lithgow, Lithgow tends to kind of, yeah, I don't know. All of his stuff seems kind of a higher energy, but he, he's done such a wide range of stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like. Yeah, Lithgow, you always, when you see him, no matter what role he's playing, you always get the sense that he's processing stuff a lot faster than you are. Like, he's, yeah. he's always got that air of uh, high intelligence, uh, probably pretty blunt and saying what he means, not hiding things for the sake of protecting somebody's feelings. Um, he's done- yeah. Wasn't he the villain in like Cliffhanger? Yeah, well, yeah. There's, well, there's that. Yeah, but um, the point, the point there being is that he springs to mind for all of his goofy, over the top, you know, Third Rock and Buckaroo Banzai and all that. Um, Shakespearean, but, like that's yeah, like he's, yeah. He's, when he's done villainous, because he's done a lot of kind of slimy guys too and all that. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Yeah. Um, I was trying to find reference of it. There's again, I'm now I'm just kind of going through the wiki to help us out here. Uh, they do talk about Michael Keaton, uh, Chevy Chase. And I'm, oh, I think gee, that might how come did up we in, miss Chevy Chase? He yeah. was he that comes up in the um, that's in Wild and Crazy. I actually want to save that. Let's talk about that with uh, Ontario let's put, next let's week. Let's leave that to yeah. later. I'm trying to find reference of it. I can't seem to find it though. I seem to recall that uh, Steve Gutenberg was considered. That uh, I remember. I remember Gutenberg actually talking about that. Like, I think yeah, that's something right? he mentioned in an interview. That like, thank goodness I got Police Academy because I was so depressed after not getting Peter Venkman or something like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, poor guy. Yeah. Aww. Uh But yeah, I, I do remember that too. That Gutenberg. It it seemed to me like Ivan was hedging his bets in the event that Bill Murray was a no show. Uh, as as. Right uh, in in uh, you know in countless tales of meatballs like uh, again not to keep referencing next week's book but in Wild and Crazy Guys that Ivan didn't know if Bill was going to show up until the day they started shooting um, so maybe he even cast a few people as backups or um, understudies for lack of a better word like hey Bill didn't show up uh, Steve can you uh, show up and come come play this role for me. But Gut- was Gutenberg so- would have worked for Venkman. I mean, that's basically like Mahoney in, in Police Academy is basically Peter Venkman in a cop uniform. So yeah, that kind of smi- smiles more. Well, yeah, well, that's also true. Has a little bit um, more less uh, sleepy uh, energy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. He he may have tuned it out because um, when they talked about uh, Answer the Call, when they were first talking about it here. So July 10th, 2014. Uh, they asked him if he considered being Ghostbusters 3, to which he basically said, well, you'll have to make the second one first. Um, so. <laughs> uh, there we go. Um, womp womp. 
Well, uh, yeah. So, I mean, uh, again, this is another one where I want to open it up to to sure. all of you. I don't know how we're going to revisit these discussion topics with your thoughts, but I, I do encourage you call our voicemail. You know, uh, tell us what you would think if you saw John Candy uh, in the Lewis Tully role, or even Steve Gutenberg as uh, Doctor Peter Venkman. Um, what are some of your thoughts? What what can you see working? What can you see not working? Uh, and what what impact do you think it would have? 35 years later, would we still be talking about Ghostbusters the same way that we do now? Don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go, 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 go stoppers. I'm sorry, we'll do it again. We want to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail on our calling line at 470-242-4742. That's 4702-GBHQIC. We also have a Facebook page. You do? And Twitter accounts. Prince is dead. No kidding. Just give me the address. Search Facebook for Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossroads. On Twitter, look for Troy at Ghostbusters HQ and Chris at Proton Charger. I just want to get back close again. What the hell are you doing? If you like what you hear, please take a moment to give us a review on iTunes. Be sure to recommend us to your friends. That makes good sense. Don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professional. Once again, our call-in line is 4702-GBHQIC. That'll do it. Thanks very much, Ray. All right, Chris, uh, next week, fun episode coming up with our uh, Ontario Ghostbusters friends for the book club. Um, but uh, since it's just you and I, I got to throw, I got I to give you final thoughts. Like, I mean, I know we didn't do a news episode uh, here where we can usually talk about stuff that's going on in the news, but uh, you have any final thoughts for this week? Yeah, my final thought is everybody needs to tune in next week because it just, I just remembered we never talked about Janine, uh, uh, her alternates. Oh, yeah. Hers is actually mentioned, I seem to think, in the book. In the book, yeah. uh, Wild and Crazy Guys, as the title says, deals almost exclusively with era dudes. It it touches on uh, Gilda Radner and mentions uh, quite a... Gilda Radner got like, I don't know, a couple of pages. Um, uh, Not really a chapter. It's just somehow she's kind of woven because she was... uh, uh, yeah, I mean, they're naturally like Bill Lorraine Murray Newman uh, Lorraine pops Newman. up oh, yeah. everywhere. Yeah, but th- I think they do mention somewhere in there. Uh, Sandra Bernhardt was up for oh right Janine Melnitz. Oh God, I always forget about that. Yeah, yeah. That just my final thought is I, I love Annie Potts. I and I think she did it perfectly. Sandra Bernhardt probably would have been okay, well, especially for the Ghostbusters one iteration one. of Janine Melnitz yeah. that sort of Ghostbusters 2 maybe not as no much, no but, yeah uh, uh, although the funny part there is I think the swap works pretty well for her because uh for bad reasons which is boy Janine doesn't have a lot of lines in Ghostbusters 1 let's just be honest <laughs> like but, but all of those could very easily be Sandra Bernhardt like exactly yeah no, that's very fascinating to me with very little interest, you know. Oh, everything, uh, yeah. It's yeah. like, uh, yeah, I, 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 like, you know, her whole thing about playing racquetball and all that, you know, it's just. Yeah. They e- easily, Sandra Bernhardt could have, uh, if nothing else, Sandra Bernhardt is, I think, authentically New York. Um, is she? I don't remember. Uh, I think, she, I think, yeah, I think actually she might be. Whereas Annie Potts is, you know, from, uh, she's, she's a Southern girl. I think she's from Georgia, <laughs> if I remember right. But, 
Uh, yeah, totally yeah, different. Yeah. Tune, in, tune in next week. There'll be a lot to dig into uh, in, in that in <laughs> It's going to be book. an epic. I, we, I think we made a mistake in not splitting it up into first half, second half with them. Uh, so it's, it's going to be a pretty <laughs> epic conversation. But uh, yeah, so uh, next week, make sure that you've read your homework. If you don't have Wild and Crazy Guys by uh, Nick DeSemlian, uh, pick that up now because uh, we're going to be we're going to be talking about it for probably hours next week, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but we can still uh, talk for a long time and cut it up. In the oh, that, that's also true. We could probably do that, too. Let's just see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe we do cut it into part one, part two. Who knows? That's what the future... We cannot predict the future, and we certainly can't change the past, as we've demonstrated here in this episode. But uh, uh, until next week for that book club, we'll see you on the other side. Who you gonna call? Thanks for joining the Ghostbusters Interdimensional CrossRip. Visit us at ProtonCharging.com, GhostbustersHQ.net, and StillPlayingWithToys.net. That used to be one of my two favorite shows. Everything you're doing is bad. I just want to let you know that. We'd like to get a sample of your brain tissue. Oh. Next week, though, Careless Pets. We're so cool.